Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we sat down with Sam Teekle. He is making some fantastic high-elevation fruit off of Pine Mountain Cloverdale Peak AVA. Never heard of it? That's why we're making this episode. It's a super small production area, very high elevation, 3,000 feet. It is relatively new. I think it's the second youngest AVA we talked about on the show. We uh, discussed why it's so unique and special and what makes the wines there so beautiful Aside from what he's doing, he has a beautiful way of looking at winemaking, expressing the grape versus the uh, manipulation or uh, versus the oak. It was just a great conversation. He's a really fun guy. We enjoyed our conversation quite a bit. I hope that you do as well. Cheers. Cheers, guys. How are you? Cheers. Sam, how you doing? Good night, fellas. Doing excellent. How are you fellas doing? We're uh, we're doing great over here. It's a beautiful day. We're uh, hanging out in the wine store, drinking wine, and talking with you. Can't complain with that. <laughs> Where are you at now? Are you at the winery? No, I, uh, I had to escape the winery because it's a bit noisy over there today, so I, uh, I just snuck back home for a little little afternoon snack and, and have a quiet place to talk, but... I'm just glad it's not 100 degrees over here anymore. What is the uh, temperature there today? It's a nice balmy, like 85, just in the wheelhouse. It's uh, no complaints. If it's under 90, it's it's all happy days for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, you've had an unusually dry season so far to this point, correct? Yeah, well, uh, I'm used to it coming from where I'm from, but it's 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 pretty terrifying to be honest. It's um, you know, saying it's dry is, is, is an understatement. You know, it's, it's bone dry. I can't remember the last time it rained over here, to be honest. Oh, my God. That that scares the shit out of everyone right now. I mean, California is, uh, I mean, it seems like every year the fires are getting worse. Uh, right now, it's it's drier than it has been in, in recent memory. Uh, and, and we haven't even gone into fire season yet. Uh, it, it's something that seems to uh, be on everyone's mind. I know, I didn't want to start the interview with such a downer, but it certainly is, uh, it's something that, you know, it's one of those things, it's like the elephant in the room, you know, everyone, you know, you know about it, and you're thinking about it, but you don't want to talk about it, so yeah. it's, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things up here, it's just, it's just, I never thought when I moved here, it's something that I have to deal with so often, and, and, and be prepared, you know, like have some supplies in the car, and have a bag, and, and all that stuff, but, yeah, it, you know, it's certainly, uh, it, it's not a way we like to start a podcast on the on the downer like that, but it is something that's at least important to uh, to point out. We, we talk about it with customers a lot. They have a lot of questions about it, um, and it comes into play oftentimes with, uh, you know, people want to know about the 2020 vintage. Are you getting wines off of Spring Mountain this year? Is How's Diamond Mountain doing? How are a lot of these places that just got wrecked, how are they going to fare? And, you know, talking to people who have boots on the ground out there, I, I think it's very important for our, our fan base to at least hear about. Yeah, and I think, too, they don't, probably a lot of people don't know a whole lot about Maya Camus. And, and, you know, I know you have a lot of, I mean, Maya Camus is famous to us, but we're in the wine business, right? So, um, exactly. but, you know, maybe explain to people how Maya Camus differs in uh, styles of winemaking or just growing, uh, Sam? 
That's a great question. And I was going to I was going to sum up that sort of semi somewhat depressing start by saying, you know, just because it is driver here, you know, the quality is still there this year. So it's 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 really looking good, you know, we just are being a bit more frugal with the water use and it's going to be a smaller more concentrated crop. So I certainly didn't want to say that 2021 was going to be rubbish, but uh far from it at this point. But yeah, so so the uh I like to call them with my accent the Mayakamas. So uh it's the lovely mountain range that obviously stretches from from down in the you know Carneros, San Francisco Bay, all the way up to sort of you know northern Sonoma County, Mendocino County, and then it kind of just you know that's that's where the the drive out to Anderson Valley is. So I guess the mountains is it's it's, it's the soil and it's the wind and it's the sun intensity and you know I don't know how much time you guys have, but I could talk underwater you know about this subject for a long time. But it's just a it's just a really unique sort of microclimate to, to grow grapes up on the mountains. Well, you have the microphone, brother. We like hearing about it. Yeah, and I, and again, too, you you make a few different Sauvignon Blancs, and, uh, you know, that, I was interested in that. I mean, you know, it's rare you have two different Sauvignon Blancs. I know Matt Honig uh, d- does, but um, what are the difference between those two products? That's a great question. So so we started, so Capture was a brand that we um we purchased a few years ago and, and it kind of was the carrot that got me to move over to America. And we, we, we sort of followed on in their footsteps. They had a, they had a really high end Sauvignon Blanc called the Le Pionnier, which was originally made in partnership with the French laundry. Oh, um, wow. So that was a really cool story. And that was kind of like more of the barrel fermented, really big, you know, rich opulent style of Sauvignon Blanc. And then they had this other one called the tradition, which was, you know, stainless steel, really fun, you know, a little bit of uh, like tropical fruit. So so that was kind of the wheelhouse that I inherited. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. And it's great to be able to have two different styles under the one brand. So I sort of took it and ran with it. So the tradition was uh, the stainless steel one, um, both 100% Sauvignon Blanc. The tradition is made like, you know, it's my party wine. And I shouldn't say it like this, but, you know, it's the patio pounder. It's just all about having fun with your friends and oysters and you take a camping or on a picnic and it's just supposed to be nice and refreshing. You know, obviously I pick a little bit earlier than some other people and, you know, I love that natural acidity, but then I balance that with a little bit of Lake County fruit that brings this super tropical, you know, like punch almost. So, so you have this minerality and the citrus from Sonoma County fruit and then you add this dollop of like pineapple juice it's almost and it's just this really fun really fun one um and then the other one is uh, so the late pionier was sourced from the mountains on the myakamas up in alexander valley but we just moved the sourcing 100 percent up to our new property on pine mountain so man i don't know how to even start with this i'll tell you about yeah, the wine making a, first I, we'll talk I, about the history of the place but it's a brand new ava it's actually called pine mountain Cloverdale Peak AVA. It's one of the newest ones in California. It only started back in 2011. Um, it was the home of the original brand, but then we, when we purchased the brand, we didn't take their land or their winery. So we actually bought the very top of the mountain and developed our own vineyard back in 2012, planted in 12 and 13. So in the meantime, obviously, you know, the grapes were young and they were growing and, and I couldn't do anything from there. But, but in 2018, I released the very first... Pine Mountain Sauvignon Blanc, and I kind of went back to the the roots of the, you know, the the OG capture winemaker, old Denny Malbec, and and I wanted to make something that was equally as impressive and, and to push the boundaries of what people think of 
Sauvignon Blancs. And it's just, it, it just really was fun doing those two different styles. Does, uh, does Pine Mountain give you any, uh, you know, Ritzina style of, of uh, flavors? Like, do you get that in there? It's funny you say that. I, I actually did a harvest in Greece back in the, back in the day, and, and I just laughed and made the same jokes, and they, they almost beat me up the first day when I joked about Ritzina and said, we've moved on from there. But no, I can assure you there's no, uh, there's no pine resin in my uh, pine in your vlog. <laughs> uh, so you did kind of touch on something. You you did a harvest in Greece. Uh, let, let's we haven't really dove into your background. Uh, where where do you come from? What do you do? What's how'd you uh, find yourself at Capture? Oh man. Well, obviously uh, with my accent, it's a bit of a giveaway, even though it's a little soft one. But I'm I'm an Australian boy. I uh, grew up in Adelaide, South Australia, and obviously we have one of the best wine schools in the world down there, the Adelaide University. So. I don't really have a romantic story how I fell into the winemaking, but sort of stumbled my way in and, and, and just fell in love. You know, I went to school there, I did two years and, and got burnt out like a lot of kids and was like, you know, F this, I'm going to go, I need to travel. I want to go and, you know, do a harvest, get my hands dirty. So I took a year off and my first harvest was at Darenberg in uh, McLaren Vale. Oh, yeah. Good old Darry's. Yeah. And... They they broke me. They broke me like a wild bronco. I thought I knew about wine, and and I just loved it. I was you know covered from head to toe every day in red wine. I was you know digging in fermenters, and and you know they still do the old school approach. It's all you know been fermented and basket pressed. It was just a mess, and I fell in love. I had an absolute ball. You know, I just fell in love with the adrenaline of harvest and the energy and the machines and. You know, I think I, that's when I kind of knew. I was like, this is pretty cool. And so after that, I had the year. So I, I did the Australian thing and moved to London. And, you know, was working at a wine bar and uh, living on a couch. And then I, I ended up going to this wine tasting um, at the Institute of Masters of Wine with the, because we were the only wine store that sold this Greek guy's wine. And so I, I had no idea. You know, I was a, I was a, I was a young boy back then and kind of knew what the MW thing was all about, but not really. And, we stumbled in and we were sitting in this big marble sort of dining room and Steve Spurrier and Jancis Robertson were sitting there with me and my wine shop manager and this, this Greek winemaker. <laughs> well, that's intimidating. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I didn't quite understand the gravitas of, of that back then. And I wish I, I had, but, you know, I was just looking at this guy's photos and tasting his wine. It was unlike anything I had, you know. It was, it was not like old school Greek winemaking. It was state of the art, like absolutely incredible wine. It was, it's called Alpha Estate. Mm -hmm. the winery and I remember sitting there looking at his pictures and I said oh well I was looking for a harvest but I don't have any connections you know can you help me out and he goes well we picked Sauvignon Blanc yesterday you should come tomorrow <laughs> and and I'll never forget you know Jancis and Steve just leant over and looked at me and they said and they were just nodding their heads they're like yep you should do that Sam I was like oh. <laughs> so the next day I was I was in Greece so uh you know, I've been very fortunate in my travels, and after that, I worked in Champagne, I worked in Alsace, I came to California. I figured out that the accent works pretty well in California, so thought I'd come back here a few more times. And it, uh, it actually wasn't until my mother forced me to get a real job because I was traveling so much. You know, I, I, I think I did five years without having a winter, just going back and forth. Um, I, she made me get a job, and I landed at Yangara in McLaren Vale. And I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but that's kind of in the Jackson family wine um, stable. Yeah. And, 
and I, I, I fell in love with their biodynamic and their organic approach. You know, such beautiful wines. You know, that 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 Rhone Viognier and Roussan Shiraz Grenache. I loved it. But then, you know, I got I got cold feet because I want to travel again. And then I was like, all right, mate, I'm going to quit. I'm off. And he said, hey, Sam, you know, do you know what the Jackson family are? I was like, no. And he kind of explained it. And then they uh, they started sending me away. So I, I met Chris Carpenter and we worked on the Hickenbotham project together. Oh, wow. Cool. And the funny story about that is I had no idea who he was. So we turned up to the winery and, and we were not very polite to this big American fella. You know, we thought we were pretty, <laughs> pretty hot dudes down in McLaren Vale doing our thing. And, and, you know, he wanted to do things differently. We were like, man, you're a real pain in our ass. And, and we, didn't, we didn't Google him till I think it was the last week. And we're like, oh, shit, this guy's a 100-point <laughs> wine master. And we're like, oh, shit, but he, uh, you know, he took me under his wing and, and he took me back to work with him at La Coya for a year. And I think that's kind of when the penny drops back in 2012 that, that you know, California mountain winemaking was, was pretty special. So... Sorry, this is a long story, but, you know, the next year I went back to Australia and then I did the same thing with Graham Wurtz at Stone Street. So I did another half a year of harvest under his belt. And then they, I like to say they made me the offer I couldn't refuse. You know, I had no idea I would ever come here. I thought it was always just fun coming for harvest, but they, they called me up and said they have a brand for me. And when I moved to California, and I was like, you know what, let's do it. Nice. Yeah, the wines are awesome. We, I, you know, we tasted them uh, uh I think back when, uh, uh, maybe a month or two ago, and uh, they were all really, really lovely wines. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we're uh, getting ready to order some more now with Tiffany. We uh, sold through them, but uh, there's some, uh, I mean, the reds are really beautiful. I mean, the, the uh, it's really a blend. It's, it's a cab blend, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Did you have, did you have the white label or the gray label? Uh, I believe it was the gray label. Great label, yeah. So that's the new Pine Mountain stuff. So it's the, so it's the new Sauvignon Blanc that I kind of touched on earlier. But thank you for your kind words as well. I really appreciate that. It's um, it's always nice to hear someone saying nice words about the wine because you know I never really know if you're telling me the truth. You know, sitting here. <laughs> well, you but, always uh, and, and, you, can't, you can't argue with with sales. You know, when the wine works out of the door, it's uh, you know, it's good for you guys and it's good for me as well. Well, I mean, it's easy. Uh, like when I. You know, you, you've been at a lot of great wineries. You made a lot of great wine for a lot of great people. Um, and, I mean, you, you were with Cardinal for a little bit, too, weren't you? And, and yep. The yeah, Koya? so I did, the, I did the whole, his whole stable. I kind of was looking after La Hoda for him up on the, up on the mountain mm -hmm. by myself. And then we did Cardinal and La Coya. Yeah. Well, so, something you definitely don't have to worry about is uh, he, he's saying nice words. You, you know he means it. Uh, we, we only have on winemakers uh, or, or psalms, for that matter, or restaurateurs that we get behind uh, on this podcast. Uh, and there's a, a very good reason for it. We are kind of known for uh, shitting on wines a little bit. So we don't want uh, to hate on anyone's stuff that we bring on. And we bring on the people that we genuinely like. Uh, and, and you make really good wines, my friend. Well, thank you very much. It's 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 honestly like it was it was one of the scariest things, you know, when they gave me the when they gave me the reins, I was like, Are you guys kidding me? Like I'm <laughs> I'm a kid, you know, I've I you know, it's my twenty second harvest this year, so you know, I've done a lot of work but I just couldn't believe they gave me the, the freedom to do what I wanted. And that was really a testament to, to sort of my bosses and you know, I've worked with Chris and, and learning that sort of mountain winemaking, you know, it's not about extracting too much, it's about being more hands off and because you, you can make those wines too overpowering very easily. 
And then the other half of that was, you know, I, I didn't want to make a wine that you had to sit in your cellar for 15 freaking years before you got to enjoy it. You know, I'm a millennial. Right. I want you guys to buy wine. <laughs> you know, I want, to, I want to get this party started. So it well, was it was a really fun sort of way of, of I guess, it's the corny part, kind of growing with the vineyard. You know, it was I was always really upset that I didn't just take over some famous vineyard, you know, like follow someone's footsteps and they could tell you where the best blocks are and, this this does this and this does that and you should pick it now. So this was a this was literally the top of the mountain. It's one of the highest planted vineyards we have. It's twenty nine hundred feet. So it's it's one of the highest mountains in the region. You know, it dwarfs Mount Vida and all mm-hmm. the stuff in Napa. So it's it's I, I had no idea. And no one had farmed at this height before. So it was kinda of like trial and error and finding and just spent so much time walking up and down the steep freaking rows and it was just, it was very fulfilling. So now, like, to hear you guys enjoying it and, and to talk about this wine and finally have it in people's mouths is, is, is so rewarding. You know, I never thought this day would come, you know, five years ago being so impatient. <laughs> well, congratulations, because it is phenomenal. And I'm going to stop you for a second. You said that you are a millennial. You, you make wines to drink uh, that are approachable now. It is approachable, and it's been a little bit since I tasted on it myself. But if I remember correctly, there's some acid to it. This thing will lay down, lay down. for a little bit. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's, that, that, I'm glad you picked up on that, because that's kind of that's the one thing that I've learned from all those different people and all those different you know, vineyards and wineries across the world is, is for me, it's, it's, it's natural acid. And, you know, it's, it's very easy here in California to pick a Cabernet nice and laid and get, you know, make it big and sloppy and get some good scores. And I know some people in my company wish I did that for them because, you know, it makes selling the wine a lot easier. But I really want to do something that was true to myself and, and to try something a bit different. So I pick a little bit of, on that sort of, you know, fresh fruit earlier side because I want the acid. And right. I think having that, you know, I, I like to say it sort of dances on your tongue. You know, it brings that energy that you can't you can't mimic with adding acid later. You know, you're, that natural acidity is, is the tension and the excitement in the wine. And when you layer that with, and obviously some serious Cabernet winemaking and, and those beautiful dark fruits as well, you have this really cool blend of of nice, lively red fruit that that you don't see a lot of in in you know big cabs so much anymore. But you know, I just fell in love with it and, and to. To kind of, it, it's it's really hard to explain, but I kind of like to say it's kind of a, a tuxedo T-shirt. You know, I want the wine <laughs> to be fun and energetic, but I want it to be serious as well. Absolutely, and you're walking that line again. You touched on something important there: uh, the natural acidity. Um, and, and we're gonna we're gonna circle back to that in a second. But that does kind of allow you to walk that line of. You can drink it now, it's approachable now, but it still is able to lay down. And uh, harvesting oh, yeah. a little earlier, and you're at such high elevation, I mean, it, it's probably very easy for you to capture that natural acidity. Um, oh, that was a good pun, by the way. <laughs> uh, I do want to uh, kind of talk about something that you mentioned, uh, and this kind of throws uh, maybe some, some newer... Uh, people to our podcast or people who aren't as wine savvy as, uh, as you might be. Um, you mentioned adding acidity in later. What is, how, can you kind of, kind of explain what you're talking about there for someone who might not be familiar? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's one of those things, you know, we're blessed in, in places that have lots of sunshine. You know, you have, you have lots of sugar and in places that don't have lots of sunshine, you know, they don't have lots of sugar. So, you know, in, in Europe, when it's a cold climate, they they add sugar to increase their mouthfeel and their texture and a little bit of alcohol, and 
and we do the opposite in the hot areas of the world. So obviously we have so much sugar, we have so much alcohol, we get this ripeness, you know, what happens is, is you lose the natural acidity, but then you can, you know, you purchase organic or tartaric acid, you know, that's that's from any wine supply store or any big company, and, and you can just manipulate the pH in reverse. And I shouldn't talk about that because it's something I don't do. And I've had so many bags of acid in my career that I vowed I'd never wanted to do that again. I'll never <laughs> make it. My wine. With, you, you know, a lot of people too, uh, you know, uh, this is not a big winery. You're not making tons of wine. This is uh, a really, how many cases total production does a winery produce? Tiny. So the new Pine Mountain range was was, a, was, a, was 500 cases of red and 500 of wine. That's it. Wow. Get it fast, folks. Because <laughs> it won't last. That's nothing. It's uh, it, it was so painful, you know, and I, laugh, I like laughing, you know, now that when I bottled that wine back in 2019, that 17 Cabernet, you know, I talk about restraint and elegance and, and, and red fruit and blah, 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 but it was such a beast. You know, the tannins were so ferocious. You had to peel your your, your lip off your gums mm-hmm. after you tasted the wine. So, you know, having COVID honestly helped. You know, we were, we were going to launch these wines last year and, and right kick off, you know, this big tour and I get to go travel and have a big party here. But, you know, another year in bottle has honestly made these wines thing. You know, they've, they've they found themselves and they've settled down and, and it's awesome. Awesome to see where they're, where they're going so uh, how are you looking now? I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm sure you're used to dry farming, so, uh, and you're getting a little bit of that now. Uh, as far as the vintage is concerned uh, right now, I know it's early, but what, how do you feel about it? I feel really good, actually. So, so the best part about this new vineyard is, you know, yes, it's very high, but what, what we have naturally up there is low bigot. You know, we planted with some drought-resistant rootstocks because it was, you know, we, we were the farming team back in 2012 were, you know, thinking to the future and thank God, but what, what, because of the climate up there and, and it's windy, you know, so I guess I'll explain it, the whole thing. It's, it's what we call the inversion layer because it's so high above the fog line. It, it's the opposite effect of what makes Russian river so nice. You know, the valley is hot and then you have that beautiful cool air that comes in and, and the vines get a break. Whereas for me, it's the opposite. And it took, it took a couple of years. I almost missed the pick the first year, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I've probably got a couple of gray hairs from that harvest. But <laughs> what happens for me is, you know, it's nice and hot in the valley floor, but up on the mountaintop at almost 3,000 feet, you've got a breeze. So that wind always keeps the temperature lower during the day. But then when that nice cool air fills the valley, you know, it comes up from San Francisco and it fills the valley, everything cools down. That cool air literally pushes up the hot air, displaces it, and it goes up into the mountains. So the vineyard actually stays warmer during the night than the valley floor, and the vines continually ripening into the evening. So I, I usually do the little mind blowing, you know, thing when when people kind of their faces kind of see that because it's it's very unique. And what happens what happens is is you know on the valley floor it's it's anywhere from like 110 to 130 days from sort of uh, bud break to picking, and and what we see up there is 90 days. So the vines are ripening less days because they're so far behind bud break. We're a month behind the valley floor, and then we pick earlier, which is huh. a really interesting phenomenon. And because of all this, you know, because of the higher UV intensity, we have thicker skins. Because of that high wind, we have poor fruit set. So instead of a nice tight cluster of berries, we're having these like we lose probably 50%. So it's like these little loose wow. sort of chandelier kind of 
chandelier kind of clusters and you know all of these things are adding up to to be so stressful for the vine already that this year i haven't really seen much difference so it was a long-winded answer to your story but you know it's we have water up there we we have really um good farming practice we we you know put in underground drainage systems and and we collect as much water as we we can you know obviously without stealing it from the creeks and the natural tributaries and stuff like that but you know, it was just well thought out. It's, it's, it's honestly a great site and, you know, the vines are so stressed. We don't, we don't have to drop fruit up there. We never do. You know, we're so happy with their one or two little clusters. So, so yeah. for me, and I'm sure there's a lot of jealous people out there that will hear this, but, you know, the mountain farming is, is better suited to this kind of weather. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's this is a, a big reason that we were so excited to have you on. We've had a few um high mountain fruit uh winemakers on mostly uh, argentine yeah laura catena talked about it uh quite a bit but it's something that really gets uh us going i i love high elevation wine i think that it there's something that you just cannot replicate um about like you said close to three thousand uh feet that's incredible the uh direct sunlight does so much i mean it's a beautiful expression of what the grapes can be and the idea of not having to drop fruit because it mother nature is really kind of doing it for you you know exactly like you know the one thing that i always love showing the sales folk and the people that i get to take up the mountain is you know, usually in the springtime when, when the whole Napa Valley in Sonoma County is full of those mustard flowers and it's beautiful and you have the cover crops and, you know, they can be up to your armpits. They can be, you know, five, six feet tall in the valley and it's plenty of water. And we drive up the mountain and, and you slowly go up and the, and the trees change. You know, the, it gets too high for the oak trees because there's no more moisture above the fog. It's like more madrone and more scrub brush. You know, you see it in the natural vegetation. And then you get to the top of the where, where we are and we can't even grow grass. <laughs> so our mid-rows are, are just, you know, rocky soil, and we try to see grass every year, and it's kind of like my stubble, you know, I still can't grow a beard, so it's just <laughs> tiny little things that just, uh, you know, it's just so embarrassing up there that we, you know, but it, it puts into perspective that we can't grow grass. Right. So, you know, it's such a arid environment that it's so stressful for the plants. And that's something that we've we've stressed a couple of times. We've talked about on the podcast several times. Uh, you know, for for the other side of our listening audience who might be on the restaurant side who don't know as much about wine, it is the more the vine struggles. I mean, that that's a good thing. Uh, you obviously don't want it to struggle too much, but uh, you know where you're at. I think makes for the perfect uh, climate and, and uh, perfect grape growing. Uh, region yeah and it's it's true but but what you need to be careful of and this you know this was a a tough one for me it was was you know when you have these little balls of caviar they're they're so strong and they have so much flavor and power and intensity in them you need to be careful on the winery side you know because i couldn't do what i used to do you know usually you try to extract every bit of flavor as you can from these berries you know it's like like any ingredient in cooking or whatever you want to get the most out of your you know you bang for your buck but for me, and this is what I think Chris taught me very well, was was more restrained and and to and to be more thoughtful and and the pump overs and and be tasting every day and and pressing and just there are things we can do and and just be lighter and defter and you know once the wine gets to the winery I'm I'm very low impact and and I think my five years doing the biodynamic and organic stuff at Yangara really kind of stayed with me and and you know. If you don't need to add all this this stuff, like then don't do it. You know, I, I love 
I love showcasing the site. And, and one of the first things that, you know, I vowed to change was I went to so many wine dinners and I'm sure you guys have seen so many wines, you know, and you've tasted thousands of wines and the first thing you taste is oak. Mm. And, and we all talk about making a wine from a place and showcasing a vineyard and it's, it's so unique and the soil is different and the weather and, and blah, blah, blah. But when you taste the barrel, you know, it's, it's, it's not the place. So, you know, for my Cabernet, I, I really want to use low new oak and I only do like 30% new oak for a mountain cab, which is, you know, a few of my colleagues laughed at me, but, you know, I wanted it to, to be the red fruit and I love the color in the glass. It shows the, the vibrancy of the fruit and I don't know, I'm getting off topic, but, but it's, it's, but it's you're not, a you, bigger of what you up there. I, I like the kind of tangent that you're going on. Uh, that's something that uh, we kind of value here ourselves. Uh, you know, obviously you touched on something way earlier in the podcast uh, w with making like the big overly extracted cabs. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned you a few people wished you would, so it would sell a little easier, make it a, a little easier to sell. And we obviously noticed that here from the retail side of things. People, you know, kind of go after some of those bigger things. But I think the people, who are really into wine can really appreciate what you're doing uh, because it does give a sense of terroir. It gives a sense of place. You get to know what those uh, vineyards are showing, what those grapes can be versus what we tend to do in, in the States and show off our oak, right? We're kind of showing off our money, if you will, by uh, throwing it mm -hmm. on so much oak. Well, and, and, and hey, who doesn't love a big, fat, you know, oaky wine every now and then. I, you know, I'm a sucker for that. I love big cabs. I love big pinots, the Shiraz, the Syrah. But you know what? That, you know, for me also, like I wanted to make my own style. Like I, I didn't want to do whatever I was doing. I wanted to try something different. And if I can help the pendulum swing a little bit more on that, you know, I don't want to call myself a hipster by any means, but, you know, to try to push the end of Cabernet that not a lot of people are trying is, is something that is addictive. And I'm, I'm playing with picking earlier and, and lowering the alcohol and not making them 15%. You know, I think my 2018 came in at like 13.8% for a mountain cabinet. Wow. I thought, thought someone in the lab had made a big mistake and I, <laughs> I went and yelled at everybody. That's what happened. That's what we, we were given. And, and, you know, it's obviously very careful because I don't want any of that green character. You know, the American consumer doesn't particularly find that too entertaining in their, in their cabs. But you know, it's something I fell in love with drinking a lot of old Bordeaux that I stole from my father's cellar. You know, I love a little bit that green. You know, it gives a bit of crunch. It gives you that texture and balance with the fruit, I think, really really makes a really sort of balanced wine. Absolutely. And you're amongst friends on that. I mean, I we, we drink a lot of Cab Franc and, and Carmenere for that exact reason. It was it was Hermitage for me last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, the green is great. Monday night. The, uh, I wanted to ask you, Sam, uh, so with the Sauvignon Blanc, um, just as a forecast, where do you where do you see yourselves harvesting this year with those grapes? Well, it's probably going to be a bit earlier than, than most years, I think, but yeah. God, I think we, that's one of the first, that's one of the first things in the whole area that we do, so man, I want to say like late October no sorry so sorry August yeah yeah I was wondering about that you know because we were going to be out in in, in Paso in Paso in September and we were thinking you know gosh uh, uh, maybe in September there won't be any uh, Sauvignon Blanc on the vine it'll all be gone by then right be harvested I, 
Yeah, I don't think you'll see any whites. You still see some yeah. reds, though. I think. Yeah, yeah. So while we're uh, while we're kind of talking about it, you've mentioned it, uh, you know, a couple times, and we I think we've done a really sorry, good job. Guys, I, I want to sorry that was a brain fade just there. I ha- I harvest usually like early September, so it depends. Late August is what I meant to say. Late August, early September. So I just I just uh, remembered that I picked like on the sixth of harvest for the twenty nineteen. Okay. Obviously twenty was a bit different, but so around, so you might you might be in like I could save a row for you if you want to come and help pick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I'm interested. Don't tempt in that. us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, w- I will tell you though, the Sauvignon Blanc is planted in the most ridiculous fashion. We have some blocks that are about a forty degree angle. You know, watching the guys pick that, you know, I always make sure I take up Gatorades and burritos and stuff for, for the Sauvignon Blanc pick day because it is an absolute bitch. Like, climbing those mountains with the the tubs and it is it, it's slim pickings. Like, it's it's really hard work, you know. You're under the hot sun and, and but but seeing, you know, the, what, what makes the what makes the Sauvignon Blanc special, I think, is, is the complexity. And because it's only, you know, I think it's 10 acres or 8 acres we have up there. We only get like a ton an acre. So it's the worst cropping Sauvignon Blanc on the planet, I'm sure. But is- what, what makes that wine so fun from the start is because we have so much elevation change and different clones planted in this little, you know, very slopey side. You know, can, the slope's probably 400 feet changing just within this little section. Gosh. And <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting nice, beautiful, you know, not sunburn, but really nice sun, tropical fruit at the top of their little hills because they, you know, they're getting attacked by the wind and the, the shorts, the shoots are so short, the canopy is pathetically small. And then at the bottom, you're having a bit more canopy growth, so you're getting a bit more shade, so you're getting, you know, a, a, a more well-adjusted cluster. So when I when I pick, you know, I can only pick once, you know, getting all the crews up there just for one truckload is a pain in the ass. So what, what makes this wine, I think, so cool right from the start is it's kind of like a field blend. You know, it's all these different clones and all these different ripeness levels picked all at once. And it makes the wine, it, you know, it gives it layers already. Like right off the bat, before it even gets to the winery, you know, we've, we're kind of making the wine more complex. And then I used to put my, my Sauvignon Blanc in the press and roll it, which is a sneaky way of, you know, extracting a bit mm-hmm. more of that sort of skin, but not too much, but, you know, make the wine a bit firmer. Right. But what is it takes, it takes an hour and a half for the trucks to get down this bumpy ass road down to the winery. So... What happened was the, the grapes squished themselves and I, I, was, I got skin contact. Huh. So I had an hour and a skin contact in the bins, which was, you know, unplanned. But so it's making this the juice before I even got to the winery with this sort of field blend and the skin contact. It, I was like, wait a minute, I'm making a hipster wine. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. so, so, so what happened is it just, it just made this wine just so, you know, I, it's something that I can talk about for a long time. This wine is just... It's my maximum expression of what you can do with Sauvignon Blanc from a single site. You know, it goes into stainless, it goes into neutral punctions, it goes into a small amphora as well. It's all native ferment. It sits on the leaves for 10 months. I love stirring the leaves to get that texture. And, you know, that wine especially, the acidity is, is out of control. You know, I think I bottled the first year at like 3.2, you know. it's Wow. It rattles the teeth. But when you when you layer, when you add all those layers of, of complexity and and and... I don't want to call them tricks, but just things that I've learned from all these different people. It, it, it just made this wine just just super unique, and that was the goal: push the boundary with Sauvignon Blanc. Well, I, and you kind of touched on something there that I kind of wanted to talk about earlier, and, and we got off topic. Um, with that extreme elevation, is everything hand harvested? I can't imagine you're getting machinery oh, yeah. up there, right? 
And we, we can't we can't safely get a tractor up and down most of the rows, you know, the Sauvignon Blanc especially. And, and because we don't have any cover crop or grass, you know, it's just loose. It's just, it's kind of like, I, I call it Mars-esque. You know, it looks like the Mars surface. It's just rocky red dirt, mm. you know, with tiny little pebbles. And it, it's, it's very hard to get traction on, on, on the equipment to get up and down. So it's, it's a real pain in the ass. But that's also what makes it so great. The labor of love. Exactly. I don't think the guys would tell you it's love. <laughs> <laughs> and for you guys, you know, we can see the finished product and, and, and it is, you know, right from the start. You know, I took someone up there the other day and they're like, I didn't realize it was so hard just to walk up and down here. You know, now I understand why, you know, the price point so much, you know, getting the equipment and the labor yeah. and, and the low the low yields, you know, it's, yeah, it all adds up. It is love, that's for sure. Absolutely. And and you just brought up something very important there. I mean, uh, when I don't think that the general consumer kind of understands the way uh, wines are priced. And, uh, you know, sometimes they think that a, a winemaker just likes their wine so much and that's why they put this price on it. But that's not the case at all. It, it really is. You're talking very low yield. You're talking a lot of manpower. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to survive, your your wine has to be priced at a certain price point or or you're not seeing another vintage exactly and and it's something i always joke you know obviously i don't own the land so i wish i could make the wines a little bit cheaper so more people could try them but you know fifty dollars for an sb is obviously it's a very small market and and what my goal is in in my you know my short career is to, is to explain to people that you know people will drop 50 bucks on a chardonnay without blinking you know they'll drop a hundred dollars on a chardonnay and they're fantastic and they're textured and they're unique and they show the side and I want to see that with Sauvignon Blanc, you know. I taste my wines with Dagonot and some white Bordeaux. You know, you know, there are some people that really are pushing the envelope, and, and I want to I want to help people and help you guys, you know, showcase that Sauvignon Blanc's not just for an icy cold glass on a hot day. You know, it can be a it can be a stimulating beverage. Well, I'll tell you from our experience here, uh, Sauvignon Blanc is really starting to uh, to take off. It Over is the, the wine. It is the wine of COVID, man. We've never sold so much Sauvignon Blanc. It before. is unbelievable. Uh, so people are are certainly starting to uh, catch on to that. Uh, and I think that you know, as people kind of start to to get into it, there's uh, you know, everyone thinks uh, New Zealand Marlboro uh, for soft Blanc, but I'll tell you, I where I think some of the best soft Blanc in the world comes from is White Bordeaux. Um, yeah, I, I just love the way it's made. There's and you can make great salt blanc, ev- not everywhere, but there's great salt blancs made everywhere. I don't want to sound like I'm hating on Marlboro or, or whatever. Um, but I think that white Bordeaux is very beautiful, and there is some great expressions of California salt blanc. Uh, it's very different, and and like you said, it's very elegant in a lot of ways, and and you can really dress it up and and make a very beautiful wine that does demand the money. Uh, like you said, people will pay it for soft blanc or uh, Chardonnay. Chardonnay yeah. um, you know, people don't mind spending a lot of money on on white wine, and I think soft blanc will be the next. Uh, white wine that, that kind of demands that. Hallelujah, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so before we get off of here, uh, I do want uh, one more thing. We've talked about the AVA quite a bit and what makes it so special, but uh, can we kind of talk specifically about the Pine Mountain uh, Corvidel Peak AVA? Uh, it's it's relatively yeah. new, correct? It sure is. It, it only was uh, established in 2011. That's... So I think... 
don't quote me on this, but I think the only newer one than that is the pedal in the wind gap. So it's it's extremely new. Oh wow! I even thought it was newer than than that. I I, I thought it was uh, newer than the Petaluma. Um, well, the the thing is, is is that not a lot of people are up there. So it's 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 got its own ABA, and it's actually a split county ABA because it straddles Mendocino County and Sonoma County. Uh, uh, it's it's a true mountain ABA, so it only starts at fifteen hundred feet. Mm. But I think the cool part is, is only there's only two hundred and thirty acres planted on the whole mountain. Oh wow. And so I think we have about 70 planted. So, you know, I, I, I joke that we have like the monopole of Pine Mountain. You know, yeah. I want to, you know, let's put a fence around this thing and call it a monopole vineyard. But it's, it's, it's tough because there's not a whole lot of people selling this wine. You know, a lot of the other farmers up there are kind of mum and pop operations. And there are a few little brands coming out of there. But, but honestly, it's, it's hard to find. And it, it's one of those things that's just like the, the hidden gem. You know, if, if you like mountain winemaking, you know, this is this is the next thing, and and it's been really fun to to blow people's minds, and you know geeky soms who know everything about everything on um, Mount Vida and Spring Mountain and blah blah blah, and like, well, have you tried a Pine Mountain? And and you know it's just it's new, it's new, it's the cool, it's the new cool toy. Well, I'm certainly the geeky som that just got my mind blown by this uh, ABA. Uh, so forgive me for not knowing. I would imagine there's probably it's probably a ton of volcanic soil if I'm. Um, if I was guessing, it is. It's very, very spot on. It's kind of like volcanic gravel, but also it's kind of like I don't have a good way of describing, but it's like compressed sandstone. You know, mm. I thought it was shale when I first went up there, and we we have this beautiful cutout on one of our vineyard rows that I just drove past for years, and then I when I started taking some salespeople up, I was like, oh shit, this is actually a really nice soil profile. And I, and I stop and I say, look, on your left, there's 20 feet of soil profile. And everyone laughs that there is no soil. And I say, exactly, it's just rock. <laughs> you know, there's layers of compressed sandstone, you know, volcanic rock that, you know, the vines have to fight through to get their water. You know, they find these little cracks and the roots have to burrow, the, you know, down through them. And that's how they search for the water and the nutrients. And, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, a real shitty environment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually those... Make great wines, you know. Stress those exactly. vines, right? Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, Sam. We uh, really appreciate all your time, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you. Like, if you ever leave California, uh, please swing by here. And, of course, we'll come out there. Yeah, I, I'm, I got to tell you, this has been a, a great episode for me. I, all I can think about is getting up there and helping you with some of that salt blanc. <laughs> I am intrigued. Well, hey, don't, don't, don't wish for it too much. You know, the, the trips are fun. I usually make everyone have a beer on the way up the mountain because it takes so long. It's such a windy road. So it takes about 40 minutes from the valley floor to get to our vineyard. Wow. Just straight Crazy. To so it's, uh, it, I honestly, fellas, if you're ever up here, it's something that you have to see to believe because I, I feel like people don't really understand how tall 3,000 feet really is. You know, it's it's everyone stood on Mount Vida and you know a lot of mountain wineries here and there, but you know it's almost like two Empire State buildings. You know, it's it's three thousand feet. It's That's it's really so tall. unbelievable. It's not, not winter time, for God's sake. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not joking. Uh, I I'm gonna shoot you a text later, and, and I will be there at some point to see you. No, let's lock it in. Let's do it. Let's lock it in. I'll make sure the beers are nice and cold, and you got you some uh, suitable footwear to climb up these mountains. There you go. We'll, <laughs> we'll bring the mountain bikes too. Sam Tico. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> capture why we we thank you so much for uh, coming on with us today. And anybody, you can find these wines, of course, uh, at Ed's Fine Wines here in Clearwater, Florida.
Absolutely. Sam, thank you so much, brother. Hey, fellas. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. You guys are doing a fantastic job spreading the uh, the capture and the Pine Mountain story. So I, I very much appreciate you, fellas. Absolutely. Thanks. We appreciate you. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, guys. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sam Tickle. I'll tell you what, if that episode did not get you excited about those wines, I do not know what will. Head to their website, head to edsfinewines.com, capture wines, whatever you have to do to get your hands on it, I highly recommend doing it. Like we said on the episode, right now we are sold out, but we have some coming in very soon. We will keep you updated on that. Until next time, cheers.